a big part of effective communication is intrapersonal communication or communicating with yourself. Those moments of silence, those moments of reflection. When you speak, you actually have to listen as much as you speak. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Two Cents Over Coffee. I'm your host, Sharvin Lurido, and let's get this podcast started. As always, before we start, feel free to grab yourself a cup of coffee or any drink of your choice while listening in so that you can enjoy the full experience of our episode today. Thank you to our listeners from the previous episodes for coming back and for our new listeners on this podcast, welcome. And we're back again with uh, Sir Ken to talk about the initial topics that we're supposed to talk about had I not pivoted from from the the initial plan but anyway so as i mentioned in the previous episode i wanted to talk about communication with uh, sir hamander considering his background and um because of my personal experiences as well uh just recently when i released my first episode and when i became more active in posting some content on social media, some of my friends were surprised. Those that I haven't spoken with in, in a while, basically. Uh, just drawing from my previous experiences here in Australia, when I first moved here, I had a hard time communicating with people, just asking for the comfort room, which is very, I, th- I believe, very Filipino and very American. Where here, it's just toilet those kind of things. And with with work, I had a hard time talking to the people, to customers, to my colleagues. At, at uni, it took me like a solid month to actually understand what my lecturers were saying because of their accents. We are uh, lucky to have a person such as Sir Ken to help us with that discussion. So thank you again, Sir Ken, and welcome back. One of the theories that got stuck in my head is um, the communication accommodation theory where people basically change the way they speak, uh, just to put it simply, the way they speak to adapt to a certain situation. And I guess I'll leave it to Sir Ken to expound further on that. So take it away, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for part two and thank you for the opportunity to discuss a little bit more about communication. Of course, it will be partly theoretical. It will be also based on real-life experiences because when you share those kinds of experiences, especially your adjustment, transition, whether moving from Manila, uh, relocating to Australia, or some other new places, new cultures, a theory becomes a theory also based on assumptions. When you think about it as a concept, because people had questions, people had inquiries, and people eventually test some of these maxims or premises, it becomes a long-lasting, long-standing, rather, long-standing theory. And just like any field of uh, academic research, theory is a core concept to be able to understand um, certain phenomena. So when it comes to communication or speech communication, we anchor our curriculum in having four strands, to say the least. 
we start from the classic, for example, with Aristotle, persuasion, theories, etc. And then in the department, even if you had a short stint, but still we mm-hmm. welcome you. <laughs> you can still change your mind and uh, we do have a new program. The, the four strands we focus on are uh, rhetoric, meaning the foundation really of uh, uh, communication, although it is closely associated as well with the social sciences, we're talking about philosophy, uh, political science. We do have a strand on performance or performance studies. The third is interpersonal communication. And the last is instructional communication. Before we deep dive on those theories, if you are a communication major, it uh, means that having a foundation on all these theories. The communication accommodation theory is one of the most popular to, mm. to say the least. In public speaking and persuasion, we talk about social judgment theory, elaboration likelihood uh, model, some concepts which are also relevant in psychology. But with CAT, communication accommodation theory are sometimes referred to as speech accommodation theory. It essentially talks about the adjustments that we make when we communicate with another person. There are three um, main principles in relation to that. You have your convergence, divergence, and maintenance. So when we communicate, we try to have a convergence because it means that we're somehow connecting or understanding with uh, the other communicator. When we also have conversations, it's but natural to diverge, right? Meaning you have different understanding, opinions, reactions, attitudes to it. And sometimes when we converse based on CAT, communication accommodation theory, our goal is also maintenance. It reaches a point when we have these conversations like, okay, so do I continue having this conversation with you? Do I adjust my tone? Do I change my accent (laughs) so that we could uh, make a meaningful conversation, achieve communication fidelity? Um, So in essence, those three principles uh, guide it. We as communicators have different strategies. So to be able to have social approval, communication efficiency as um, communicators, therefore we employ all these different principles. What's exciting about CAT is it's applicable in so many diverse situations. Even if you say that communication has changed in terms of channels, models, and to be specific, let's say social media, Mm. right? You feel like it's limited to voice or, or verbal or nonverbal communication. There's a certain extent as well of adjustment still. I think what's more profound right now is the relevant concept, which is also in intercultural communication. I think that's another mm-hmm. framework that we can consider to best understand uh, theories such as communication mm-hmm. accommodation. That's for another episode, sir. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, for um, the benefit of our listeners as well, because sometimes people get threatened when you throw theories at them. But I just want to highlight the importance of these things, especially if you can relate them to real life situation, because they could be really effective in having a, not, not just meaningful conversation, but to achieve the the main goal of communication which is being understood or getting the message across 
So I just wanted to have more conversation on when a person would um, lean towards converging or adjusting to how the other person that they're speaking with speaks, how they, you know, the the gestures, the accent, the words that they use. When would people be better off doing that rather than sticking, sticking to to you know divergence wherein they just act the way they normally would in a different setting so sometimes people consider sort of the cost benefit analysis mm-hmm. when we converse you know? so if i let's say stick to my manner of speaking what will it result if i am in a certain position and we're talking about power for example influence you know i'm the one in possession, and you're the one who needs to adjust. So that's one thing to consider when it comes to having these uh, convergences or divergences. I think one thing that we need to highlight is there are social differences. So a specific example is in my career in teaching, an important way for me to connect to my students is to also understand their language, their interests, where they're coming from. When I first taught, oh dear, almost 20 years ago, I did probably have examples that were more appropriate uh, for, for that generation or to my generation, but it's totally different to gen- this generation with this set of students. So we'd have to have items, ideas, concepts that are relevant to my audience or to my listener. So that's one, student, classroom setting. There are days when I, there were days when I did my uh, public speaking engagements and there would be thousands of individuals who come from different backgrounds. So maybe as a speaker, you are conscious that you are prepared to be able to deliver a message that would be relevant to as many. So unless also that you know very well the demographic profile, the background of your audience, their interests, their expectations. So it's, good, it's, a good, uh, it's a good way of reminding yourself as a communicator that depending on your intention, depending on your goal, then it's best to be able to make the necessary adjustment as the situation calls for it. You'll be surprised at your ability to adjust because it's what the situation needs. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. When you look at their reactions, whether they're connecting or not reacting to your maybe bad jokes ah. <laughs> or terms when you mention all of these uh, lingo mm-hmm. that no longer is relevant to your audience, that makes you think, okay, time to adjust, time to adapt, time to, to converge, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, the fascinating thing about uh, Communication accommodation theory is also the power of nonverbal communication. Mm. So I think it's important as well to be sensitive at the very least. Uh, You will have to develop that keen sense of observation, especially if you're not familiar with the situation, if you're not familiar with the culture, if you're not familiar with this new work environment, then you'll be surprised when you observe these people and they seem to respond the, in a way that you didn't expect, mm. then that's the time you think, okay, uh, we're not making sense. 
we are diverging, we are going to that miscommunication, misunderstanding, tense moment. So let's go back. Let's take, let's take a step back and recalibrate and maybe engage by asking a lot of clarificatory questions and listening, definitely. So I hope those are specific examples yeah. at this point. Um, personally, I've noticed that converging is a lot more effective, like adjusting to to what the norm is in that particular setting. Like, for example, because I did primary school in our town and then high school in the city of Pampanga, in, in a city in Pampanga, in San Fernando. And the conversation or like the way of speaking is different. And then it's also different when I went to college speaking with uh, the people in UP and it would be different as well to speaking to the people who I was in high school with studying in a different university. And similarly, it's different, like um, drawing from my experience in Australia, it's different when I'm talking to, for example, different to other Filipino people who are here as well. And then it would be different when I'm talking to the people that I work with. And it will be different when I'm talking to customers. Like, for example, um, the recent job that I that I just left, uh, it's a call center role. So we're basically doing the banking stuff for them if they're having problems with their loans with the bank. So I've noticed that people are more receptive if you speak similarly to them or as closely as possible to how they speak. Somehow it becomes a survival tool for people as well to adapt instead of sticking to to what they're used to as a means of communication. But I've noticed as well, I don't know if you can um, confirm, sir, that there are certain types of people coming from a particular culture that they stick more to how they speak speak sorry like um i've noticed some western people who oh, this is how you say this and even if i have an accent i know that it's good if it's like a different language other than english they were like i'm going to stick to how i say things compared to other cultures who are like oh no, I'm going to adjust so that I'll be more accepted in this new environment that I am in. So is that something that um, is actually supported by research and you know studies as well? Yes, that's very valid. Uh, in fact, there's a principle in relation to that. It's about similarity attraction. So when you say about simil- similarity attraction, it means that the more likely it is for them to be attracted to us because of our similarities. Mm -hmm. So whether it sounds probably more neutral accent or more Australian accent, then the engagement will be better because the other person will perceive that, okay, we do have certain similarities. Therefore, the other person will become more comfortable, become more engaging, and probably have that social relationship almost automatically. Mm -hmm. To be specific in our country, which is um, in the Philippines. A regional language is a relevant example to that uh, idea. We are automatically multilingual, so to speak. 
I've personally observed that when I do converse with those who come from the same regional language, which is Hiligaynon or uh, Ilongo, whether I'm in Manila or back, back home, because there, there is that similarity, then I think we feel a little more comfortable, mm-hmm. a little more genuine. And then next thing you know, you're having this meaningful conversation. It's like making that adjustment because it's also what the situation calls for. Parang ang daling tumawad when you speak that language, quote unquote, then it becomes uh, more relatable to, to both ends. Because there's a tendency on the other hand of the conversation is that it will definitely alienate the other person. And that will become that negative experience all in all. It can be perceived that, okay, wow, this person speaks in a different way. So it can be intimidating, right? But I'm, oh, wow, this, there's this manner of speaking. I don't think I can speak that well. Or you can really be just a person who could dismiss it. No, okay, so you speak that way. I don't. I won't adjust for you. No, you, you make the adjustment for me. So there are personality and cultural dimensions to that. But because there's a similarity, because probably we speak um, uh, both Hiligaynon and want to achieve something from, from our conversation intention, then it would be a favorable experience for both of us. So that's one um, specific cultural exchange that will benefit if you are able to, to adjust whether you're making a conversation with your suke or you're in this new place, then you, uh, you may want to sound different or sound pleasant or sound acceptable. Just consider the risks or the consequences of it because uh, in the end, some people will really say, okay, uh, I'm not adjusting. You should be the one adjusting. And sometimes it's not the most pleasant experience to have. Mm, definitely. Do you think it's pretentious though, sir, when people, like for example, the way I speak with in Tagalog to another Tagalog person would be different with the way I speak in Tagalog with, for example, uh, Bisaya or Anilongo. Do you think it's pretentious that you adjust the way you speak depending on the people that you're speaking to? It will be perceived pretentious by others. But you see, when you become the main source of the message, because, for example, at least you try to speak the language that the other person is communicating, it becomes less of a struggle. Mm-hmm. I'll be specific about it. Uh, so from a Hiligaynon background, studying in the metropolis, in a big university where a lot of people would prefer speak either Filipino or English. And even if they perceive me as someone who's knowledgeable in speaking Chinese, <laughs> because I look uh, uh, Chinese um, type, then you'd be surprised at how I needed to adjust at one point. Did I feel pretentious when I started to speak Filipino in class, um, to recite in class? I did feel pretentious because it felt awkward, I tell you. I have, I've, I had my accent. Okay, judge with my Hiligaynon accent, trying to speak in straight Filipino. 
And when I try to shift or code switch and combine it with English, with my Hiligaynon accent, that became also a moment for, for me to reflect, was I pretentious or was I at least trying no? for the sake of class or grades? Did I feel awkward when I conversed with my friends who are mostly from Manila and they spoke uh, Filipino spontaneously? It, it did. No? I guess it also comes to that point where, okay, am I able to now adjust? I'm just glad that when I started developing that manner of speaking, I had very good friends to understand the way I spoke. I had my teachers, I had the office staff to understand how, how and why I, I speak that way. It was pretentious, but it shouldn't be a negative way of uh, making you feel pretentious. Mm -hmm. Because uh, for me, I think the more important part is that you, you try to speak that certain language. So right now, you know, in a more globalized world, the issue is related to linguistics, you know, world Englishes. And we know our teachers are familiar right, to the varieties of English. So if I speak Filipino English, what does that mean? If I try to have this Australian Filipino English version of it, so how will that make me feel? How will I be perceived by the communicators? But if it, if it means accomplishing a, work, a transaction, accomplishing a certain work, then it may be worth at least trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, that has been a conundrum in my head as well, because um, I don't know, it automatically shifts the way I speak depending on the situation. But somehow, um, for example, I definitely have a different way of speaking at work when I'm in Australia, when I'm in the Philippines, but sometimes they get mixed up. Like I, I'd speak my Filipino way of speaking English at work, or I'd speak the my Australian, Australian quote-unquote Australian way of speaking in the Philippines or when I'm speaking with um, my friends from the Philippines. And that's when it becomes weird in a way. I feel I'm pretending. I feel like this is not the natural me. And there's that identity crisis in a sense that I don't even know how to speak the way I used to in the past, wherein it's more neutral, more American. And it, has, it hasn't become, it definitely hasn't become Australian. It's a mix of having that Kapampangan, Filipino, Tagalog. Um, even, you know, Chinese way of speaking because I interact with a lot of other Asian people. So it's a combination of everything. And that's when it, feels pretentious on my end. Yeah, what I hope it becomes is it, 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 sh it becomes a non-issue, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's embracing a lot of uh, multifaceted, multiverse <laughs> realities uh, at the very least. Becoming multilingual to me has always been a gift. It's for me an advantage it's an opportunity that a lot of people would understand and embrace because you're able to speak in different tongues. There are studies out there, especially in psycholinguistics, which um, at least support the assumption that 
multilinguals are more open. Multilinguals show a certain depth because when you re- remember when you study or adapt a certain language, you don't just study the words. Mm-hmm. You embrace yep. the culture. You embrace the yep. nuances. It becomes, for me, it becomes, it makes a person becomes less judgmental as it should be, no? But at the same time, there are people who really would really want to preserve their culture, their linguistic mm-hmm. identities. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the other side of the story where you probably feel that certain uh, pretentiousness because they're also very strong or they're very convicted with their values. Like, why is this non-native speaking my language? Yeah. No, that sometimes becomes an issue to other people. And because we're probably in a culture, in a country where we're more exposed to global, um, um, I don't know, realities. And the specific example is, of course, the OFWs, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that we export human capital and then we have Filipinos all over the world, that shouldn't be an issue in terms of identity. I, I don't want, I will probably get in a different podcast where we talk about Filipinos forgetting their, their history, their background identity. But as far as language is concerned, conversations are concerned, for me, I take it as a gift. No? And one, what is one specific advantage of that, quote-unquote, is the business process outsourcing industry. Because we have a certain gift of our talent with our uh, tongue ability to adapt, then I think it can be taken as an advantage um, so to speak. It's just that it becomes an issue because other people probably feel bad because they, it no longer represents who they are. Mm-hmm. But from the very beginning, if we go back to our own very rich um, history, regional languages, you'll be surprised at who else has that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's one perspective always reminded myself. Um, when people, when some friends started um, reacting, oh wow, um, you speak like a normal uh, resident of Manila. Yung people will, will even think, as a normal resident, or something. Mm. They wouldn't believe that mm-hmm. I actually had a regional language. And for me, um, I didn't take it as an offense to begin with. I feel like, okay, well, I've su- successfully acclimated. I've successfully adapted to this environment. Okay, so is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I have also many regional mates, or regional brothers and sisters, or friends, same from same high school, same uh, province, Iloilo, and they would still speak their strong Hiligaynon mm. accent. Did I even ask, so do you feel bad about speaking that way? I, w- I was just telling them, well, you speak that way, no? Probably it's your upbringing. Probably it's your neuro-linguistic connections. Yeah. That's another yeah. factor at play as well. Because yeah. um, it could just be that you're wired to speak that way. And uh, you should... And, and some people don't even just care. Like... Yeah. Um, okay. The, the Don't even care. And I'm related to a popular culture example, which is the, the, the series I'm watching right now on Netflix, which is Inventing Anna. And many other similar series about that. And you try to research about it. Anna Delvey, her Anna Sorkin life, she uh, speaks there with her Russian 
accent, German accent, and she's living her life in New York. But it her life is like controversial, so to speak. But she she got controversial. She, she embraced herself, and she became infamous because of that. Now my point is, whether in you're in New York or in Europe or in Asia, for example, with strong linguistic cultural identities, you just look at Japan, right? Japan would have their own unique way of saying they're very hospitable at the very least, but they're also very strong. That this is how a Japanese English is. This is the Japanese English sounds like. Will I adjust to make it more British English, American English? It's a it's a decision that is multifaceted. Can be cultural, geopolitics, but on a regular day to day conversation, as far as ourselves is concerned. As a communication teacher, I would have 25 students every semester. They would come from different regional backgrounds, whoever speaks in a certain way, as long as my rubrics are, 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 are clear and met, that's fine. Well, I hope that it will become like an, a non-issue, like you mentioned earlier, rather than people worrying about how others might react with the way they speak, with the way they act it will become normal for people to accept these differences. Because I guess that's one of the things that, it's just my personal opinion that Filipinos are having a hard time with. We are victims of our own stereotypes. (laughs) And that's very strong in our culture. It is. There are political reasons associated with that. We cannot deny that there is imperial Manila. Mm. And that is where the revolt is coming from. Like we are as good, if not what we're trying to assert right now as a nation is we're even better because you've been there for a long time because this certain dominant language is part of the law, so to speak. No, the basis of Filipino is controversial in itself for, for all we know. And to empathize with my friends who are especially in linguistics when we talk about studies of languages being lost because they are no longer spoken, because we prioritize our international images that we should be more uh, English speakers or Filipino speakers. But when I read the research of my colleagues that, okay, there's this community in Palawan that there are fewer and fewer number of people who speak in a certain way that's language loss. That's culture loss. That's history to be forgotten and who's to be accounted for. You know, that's us because we feel ashamed. We feel that we're just pretending uh, to, to speak in a certain way. And remember, that's how um, nations uh, change. And again, I'm making it global, but just consider in terms of percentage of uh, speakers, there are definitely more Chinese uh, language speakers out there. And shouldn't it be the dominant language? So anyway, uh, it, it's, it's about those experiences which come from deep individual insecurities or confidence that may change a certain culture and therefore a certain country interacting with another. 
I guess for the benefit of um, the listeners as well, as long as you do you and you're comfortable with whatever you're doing, with whatever way you're speaking, with whatever language you're speaking or using, uh, other people's opinion shouldn't matter as long as you're not trying to trample on anyone's rights and values. So, yeah, I guess um, in saying that there are these differences, do you think there is a formula for effective communication, no matter the language, no matter the setting? I go back to one of the values I mentioned in part one. I hope our listeners took note of that. (laughs) Successful communication relies more on as far as I'm concerned, as far as my belief system is concerned, it's it's more about being an effective listener, regardless of how we attack it or perceive it. And to be, I think, historically cultural about it, that's why we were given two ears, right? Ah, There's this natural behavior or tendency of people that you know, when you speak well, you can persuade people, you have a certain command, you have a certain presence, you have a certain credibility. But in most cases, how debates are won is how well you've listened Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the arguments, to the points raised. And even beyond that, listening is really more of an enriching experience. Again, substance-wise. You could parrot yourself, you could say all these imaginative inventive things or concepts but in terms of engagement and there are so many communication models out there the fundamentals would always involve remember the speaker the message the listener and it becomes more complicated through the generations like the feedback the culture the context attitudes etc but there's so much emphasis on the speaker when in fact, the listener is as, if not more valuable because you portray uh, two roles at the same time. When you speak, mm-hmm. you actually have to listen as much as you speak. And I think for me, there's a wisdom behind it. And I guess so. the responsibility as well is with the person who initiated the conversation because they are the ones with a message to get across. Just to summarize, do you think there is a formula for effective communication that our listeners can apply in different relationships that they have in different aspects of their lives? Uh, One of the communication definitions I always use in class, and I would be uh, academic about it, is by (laughs) Julia Wood. And I'm sure my students would remember this. Uh, Hopefully, rather. Communication is a dynamic, systemic, irreversible, proactive process where communicators construct personal meanings through symbolic interactions. That's quite a lot to absorb. May I repeat? Communication (laughs) is a dynamic, systemic, irreversible, proactive process where communicators construct personal meanings through symbolic interactions. Allow me to break down a bit as part of this summary. So the communicators there definitely become the speaker and listener. Communication, remember, is irreversible. Once it's out there, it's out there, especially with digital footprint nowadays. 
it's proactive because you would want to have more engagement, more meaningful conversations. It's systemic because there are different parts, very lecture type. But I think what is a key concept there is that as communicators, we use different symbols, whether it's verbal or nonverbal symbols. When you get the essence of that definition by Julia Wood, when you're conversing with a friend, conversing with a family member, conversing at work, please remember that communication is always way beyond words. When you think that, okay, I want to talk to you and you have to listen to me, think about it. Does the other person even want to listen to you at that very moment? Because you feel like you're entitled to communicate because you are the main source of the message. When you're at work, so am I being understood at work? Am I the one being misunderstood at work? Am I the source of the misunderstanding at work? So these things, sometimes people think because it's such a normal part of our daily lives, having conversations, people sometimes forget the nuances of effective communication the little things that are part of communication, whether it's a part of a movement of your lips you know, or the chin, or nowadays with a lot of online meetings, classes, what does an off-camera mean? Mm-hmm. And it means so much, mm-hmm. right? There's that assumption part in effective communication where you tell, okay, so maybe my students are not listening, they're not interested to my lesson. But if you engage with them more, you know certain realities that these kids may have internet problems. And therefore, because you want to have better engagement, you go more into the symbols by listening to them, asking them, engaging them. And finally, on a more interpersonal and social relationship, and this will become sort of a test of friendship or test of family relationships. You know the proof of effective communication is if you've built a solid, sincere, long-lasting relationship with these people, whether you're super close friends or you've forgotten some of these friends or if you have political differences, you just can't stand each other. And so, okay, let's cut this uh, social relationship, or maybe your childhood friend or classmate who you are still friends with because you're able to sustain that relationship that despite of the absence of communication, words, not speaking to each other for months, years, and then you realize, okay, we're still friends. I still would want to be your friend. I still want you. I still need you. These are the nuances of the communication situation that are manifested in our behaviors. So communication is definitely not a simple concept. It will also be a concept that's, so to speak, difficult to define because it will require unique perspectives from every person, group of persons, nations, cultures, probably intergalactic (laughs) Marvel type of communication. But once you embrace it, and uh, in relation to my last message in the part one, please remember that when you do it, meaning you do more communication, 
you also get to realize what kind of communicator you are such in such a way that whether it's a formal or a casual conversation, if you know that your kind of communication, your manner of speaking is hurting other people, is offending other people, then at the time you also realize that, okay, maybe I should change my communication. If you really want to have that um, sense of relationship. And just a quick and final reminder to everyone, a big part of effective communication is intrapersonal communication or communicating with yourself. Those moments of silence, those moments of uh, reflection, and I'm going very spiritual here. It's the introspection. It's those quiet moments where you could be creative, you wander, you fantasize, you hypothesize, or you say it out loud, you dance crazy or whatnot. But once you give that precious uh, time or gift to yourself that, okay, I just want to acknowledge my feelings. I just want to have a me time. I just want to pray. I just want to cry and, and do all those things. But really, deep within you, self-introspection, self-reflection, then communication will be meaningful, starting from within and towards other people, other cultures, your workmates, your next travel, and whoever, basically, online, if, if you want to talk. So look at yourself, always. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. That's such a perfect note to end our conversation with. Thank you again, Sir Ken, for your time, for joining us in this two-part episode, uh, Two Cents Over Coffee. I know that our listeners have enjoyed the conversations because I really did and I've learned a lot. So yeah, thank you so much, Sir Ken. And before I let you go, any final message to our listeners? My final message is this um, mantra that I... I'm discovering and trying to be consistent about it is I try to be as grateful as I can. Being grateful for the small and big things, like, wow, next thing you know, you have this, um, you have achieved your biggest goals that you set out to begin with. Or being grateful as well for painful lessons, being grateful for lost opportunities. They don't have to be uh, negative all the time. But have that sense of gratitude, having the gratitude to honor it to a higher being, honor it to the person I have hugged and have the conversation, people who have tolerated me, people who have adjusted and made me realize about my worth, opportunities like this to share my stories and experiences, those add to the nuggets of wisdom that I have because I'm able to genuinely feel that I'm given a responsibility, I'm given a special opportunity. And for that alone, for that alone, to everyone who will listen to this and probably hopefully keep on playing it, (laughs) my gratitude doesn't have to end with me because next thing you know, you're also doing that. You're also being grateful. You feel better. Create your own podcast if you want. Do better at work tomorrow. Do better with your students tomorrow. But definitely because I feel grateful, I know that I will have a good night's sleep and will be a good morning tomorrow. That's it. Being grateful. Yes, that's beautiful, sir. And I hope everyone, including myself, 
will be more focused on the things that we should all be grateful for every day. And that's it with our conversations with Sir Ken. In part one, he shared his life story. And in part two, he shared some great communication tips. I hope you have picked up some tips from him. And if I may share my top three takeaways from uh, this second part of our episode is that number one, know your audience because it's important to know how to navigate your communication style depending on your audience. Number two, listen more than you speak because you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And number three, know what kind of communicator you are. And that would include introspection as well, looking deep within, going outwards when communicating with other people. If you liked this episode, please do follow our page here on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and click the notification bell as well so that you'll be notified every time I release an episode. If you want to connect outside of this podcast, you can reach me in my social media accounts at Sherwin Lurida. That would be for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And for the Instagram page of our podcast, that would be at Two Cents Over Coffee. And as always, share the love and make someone smile today. See you later.